welcome to The Well Podcast. We hope that this message will help you grow in your faith and give you practical ways to strengthen your relationships. To find out more, visit thewell.ca. Hi, my name is VJ. I am the lead pastor here at The Well. So good to be with you today. Uh, if you're watching online, if you're watching live at one of our three locations, so good to have you. Uh, a few years ago, I started seeing a chiropractor and a physiotherapist around the same time for some kind of neck and stuff and back stuff. And they said, uh, what's your posture like? Like, do you sit at a computer all day? Because basically they were saying, it looks like you're sitting like this all day. And, and I started to realize, yeah, not only am I doing that often without even realizing, my brow is furrowed and sometimes even my hands are clenched. Not because I'm angry, I'm just concentrating or there's stuff going on that I'm, and my body responds like this. Sometimes even I would notice that the gas pump, I'd be like gripping it so tight and like maybe because I'm mad at the prices or whatever. I don't know. But I was to realize, you know, and maybe you know this, like sometimes like underneath, if we're thinking about something, if we're stressed about something, it comes out in our physical kind of responses. And man, I would say if there was ever a time when, when this kind of clenching your fists uh, has become almost involuntary for us, it, it's in this season. Um, it's kind of a gripping of holding on tight for, for, uh, for dear life because we're trying to hold on to our jobs, some of us, our financial situations, our schooling or our school plans, the health of ourselves, our loved ones, our families, those that we feel like are vulnerable. We're holding on to the hope for better news or good news. And so in a season like this, yeah, we're gripping tight. Um, maybe also this is a season where there's been a lot of conversation about really important issues like race and power and politics. There's been debates on social media, on TV, with your friends, with your family members, where we're holding on sometimes to an idea and a, and a belief or a conviction about something, not just holding on, you know, kind of tight for um, what's going on in, in the world, but holding on is like, I'm right about this. I know this is really important. So I want, I want you to do this for, with me for a moment. Just clench your fists and, and you'll notice maybe your knuckles are going white. Um, in my case, they don't go white. They go a little bit lighter brown. Um, whatever color your skin is, something changes when you're clenching your fists like this, that we are in a season, we can potentially be in a season like this where we're holding tight. And I would say this, it, it's kind of like we're doing two things. On the one hand, we're sort of holding on for dear life. Um, you know, as we're trying to protect in what we have, or maybe we're holding on because I'm right. You know, this is one of those seasons where we're, where we're doing that, where it's, we're gripping tight because I'm holding on to the things that I maybe feel a little bit out of control of, or I'm holding on because I'm right. I have a conviction about this. I have a belief about this. I can't let go of this. And there's lots of reasons for that. Many of the things we're holding on to are good, or, or at least it's just natural being human in a season like this to go to grip tight. Um, but it's possible to hang on tightly to something, so tightly to something, that you can actually, um, uh, without knowing it, let go of something else that you can't afford to let go of. That's really too important to be dropped or to be lost sight of. And maybe think of this summer, my family had a chance to do some uh, high ropes climbing. And you'll see here, there's a picture of uh, one of my sons, Gideon, um, at this point where they called these kind of pogo um, ladders, where um, you're holding on and it's kind of swinging high above um, the ground in this sort of canopy of trees and wires and everything. And in order to grab the next um, pogo ladder, you sort of grab it and, and then you let go of the other one and then you're holding on tight um, to the next thing. Now, now here's the thing. As you're... 
sort of gripping for dear life, you know, and, and trying to hang on. If Gideon had anything else in his hand at that point, it, it would be falling well below to the ground. Or if I said, hey, you want a granola bar and toss it to him? Like he's not going to grab it. He is holding on for dear life. And that's as he should. <laughs> But it's possible, like I said, in this season where we could be holding on so tightly that we are not paying attention to things we're letting go of or or have let go of. And here's the point. We actually need somebody to point that out to us. It's not something we'd be able to see for ourselves. This gripping tight would be almost involuntarily holding on, holding on for dear life, holding on because I'm right. And we actually might need somebody else to say, to say, hey, you've let go of this, or you're at the risk of letting go of this, or you're not even paying attention to this. You've actually let something else slip. And that's really important. It's why we actually come to God's word. God's word actually gives us that repeated sort of um, view. And we're looking at a book called Revelation uh, in this series on hope in dark times, hope in the dark, when what you see is dark or you can't see in front of you. And one of the things that this book does, it, it says it's a revelation. In other words, you need to see this. That's kind of what it's saying. It's the idea of saying it's revealing something. Um, you need to see this. And in some cases, for most of the time we've been preaching through this, it's you need to see this because you need hope, right? And so there's lots of hope and encouragement in this, but there's also from time to time warning in the book saying, hey, you need to see this. You may not have uh, realized that you've lost sight of something. So here's something you need to see. And so continually throughout the book, we see this encouragement and warning, all of which is meant to give us hope to allow us to persevere through hard times and hard things. The, uh, where we're camping out today, we've actually spent a number of weeks going through some of the major themes of this book, uh, themes of power and judgment all around related to hope. And so if you've missed any of those, we'd encourage you to go back. You're reading through the book, hopefully, as you follow our daily reading plan. Um, but today and for the next couple of weeks, we're actually going back to the beginning of the book because the beginning of the book uh, helps us understand who this letter was even written for. And as I said, it's a trippy letter, like something you'd get after a Grateful Dead concert or some weird dream or something. It is a vision, something to be seen, but it was actually something to be written down and given at the time to seven churches. And there's, uh, in Revelation chapter two and three, you'll see this letter was distributed to seven churches that were all kind of located around what we now know as modern day Turkey. It was written by a Jesus follower, given to him from Jesus and said, go send these letters to these churches. And the idea was that each of these churches was in a specific location um, and had differences in different locations, but they were all going through the same hard time living as Christians in the Roman Empire in the first century. Incredibly hard. And they needed both encouragement and warning. Why? because they were under such intense hardship. They were losing their jobs. They were losing their homes. They were, uh, they were losing loved ones to torture, imprisonment, and death. They were potentially at the risk of losing their own lives for their faith. And so they were hanging on. They were holding on for dear life. And, and yet they were also holding on to what was right. They were trying to hold on to the faith and not lose hope and lose heart. And many of them had. And so these letters were given to them to say, don't give up. Don't let go. Hold on. Persevere stay true. You can do this. It was encouragement and warning for all of them. The reason we can read it, not just simply as history, but to actually say, no, this is for us too, is because even though our circumstances are different than theirs, we also find ourselves in unprecedented, difficult times where we both need encouragement to hold on and warning not to let go. 
this particular um, chapter we're going to look at today is a warning, in a sense, written to a church and applied to our church in our day and our time of something as they were holding on so tightly, they were at the risk of letting go of something incredibly important, something incredibly important to them and incredibly important to Jesus that he said, I need to bring this up with you. And so I want you to listen. You can read aloud um, as Andrea Zoni from our King site reads our scripture for this week. But I want you to read aloud as we do it, just to kind of hear us do that together. To the angel of the church in Ephesus write, These are the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand and walks among the seven golden lampstands. I know your deeds, your hard work, and your perseverance. I know that you cannot tolerate wicked people, that you have tested those who claim to be apostles but are not, and you have found them false. You have persevered and have endured hardships for my name and have not grown weary. Yet I hold this against you. You have forsaken the love you had at first. Consider how far you have fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. If you do not repent, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. So I wonder if you caught that. This is a church, in fact, one of the, we know, most well-established churches in that area, probably one of that would have considered amongst those seven churches to be a leader, to be uh, an influencer, to be a really strong and stable church. And in a sense, Jesus, first in the letter, commends them for the fact that they were holding on for dear life. He says, You've, I've seen your deeds. You are persevering. You're holding on to the faith. Um, he even commends their morality. We can kind of conclude they were living rightly and they were living well and they were following his ways of living. And so he commends them. He says, you're holding on for dear life. I see it. It's good. You know, you're persevering. And they were holding on to what was right, to being right. And, and in this case, it, he commends them for it. Um, not in necessarily a bad way because they're what was going on in the church at that time. There were many false teachers, people coming in saying, oh yeah, I know Jesus or he wasn't really God or he wasn't really human. He was mostly a spirit or all kinds of, of teachings that were not at all like the historical accounts of the gospels. And the apostles and the church were having to debate and saying, no, no, you're, you're leading people the wrong way. There were people leading um, into all kinds of uh, worship that was connected connected to um, sexuality and spirituality connected together like the nations around them. And so the church was kind of fighting to say, no, no, we are right about this. Don't give in. And so Jesus commends them for that. And yet to this community that was holding on for dear life, holding on because they were right, he says to them, I have something against you. And he brings a warning. He says, you let something else go. In holding on so tightly to this, you don't realize you've actually let something else go. And so I need to bring this up with you. It was truly a come to Jesus moment. And what he says is so serious. It's not like, hey, a little tweak. Hey, doing great. Just a little tip. It's like so serious to Jesus that he says this. I, I have this against you. And he says, you need to repent of this, which strong words. Repent, which means, okay, uh, change your mind, change your direction. Um, change your ways. Like you're, you're thinking about this incorrectly. You need to change your mind. You're heading down this road. You need to turn around. You are acting this way. You need to change your way of living. That's what the word repent means. And Jesus says, you got to repent of this. And then he says, or else I am going to remove your lampstand from its place. 
which is kind of revelation, kind of ancient biblical literature talk to say, I'm going to take you out. <laughs> it's Jesus saying, I, I probably need to shut the doors. Now, and now here's why. Because the lampstand, you're going to hear a little bit more about this next week when Dave talks about what does it mean to be a lampstand. But those were the churches. So, you know, at the beginning of the passage, it says, Jesus says, this is he who walks among the lampstands. It's just a way of saying the church is meant to be the light of the world that points people to Jesus. That Jesus is seen, he's not in the flesh and blood. He doesn't walk around the flesh and blood anymore. He is seen through churches. When people look at the church, they're lampstands. They're meant to shed light on Jesus. And he says to them, this church in Ephesus, this is so serious. If you don't address this, you won't be able to be a light for me anymore. And therefore I have to shut you down. Now, man, can you imagine, like, as a pastor, you sort of shudder thinking, what would Jesus have to shut down our church for? To say, you know what? It's good. And he started, hey, good. But you know what? This is so serious. If it doesn't change, that's serious business. Jesus is saying, you got to repent. You got to change your mind. You got, you've lost sight of this. You've let go of something else. Well, what was that something? What's the thing that Jesus would have to shut a church down for? That's a good question. What well, tells us here? Is it bad theology? Now you're not thinking rightly about this. I didn't like that program or whatever. Or, you know, your graphics were bad on Sunday. Is it, is it even immorality? He says here, you've done well in all these things, but you have lost sight of love. That's what he says, I'm gonna, is what he says in the text here. He said, you have forsaken the love you had at first. You in holding on for dear life and holding on for being right and being right, you have let go of love. You have forsaken the love you had at first. Now, the Greek New Testament has been translated into English for all of our benefit, which is great. And there's lots of different translations of that. They're all kind of roughly around the same uh, impact and intent. But some of them will say first love which is probably not the best translation because we would think, oh, first love, that must be God. Like, like your first love, you know, your first love, the romantic idea. Well, first of all, first century culture didn't have a notion of like first love. So that's really probably not the best translation of it. The, the best one is probably what you have is the love you had at first. Again, now what, what, is, what is Jesus referring to as saying they've lost love? Does he mean love for God? I mean, I think certainly in general, that's true. Uh, but I think in this case, it's specifically actually referring to the love that they had for each other. And here's why I think that's true. Here's why I think this is talking about the love they had for each other that they had let go of. They had stopped loving each other. First of all, he, he says, come back and do the deeds or the things you used to do. In other words, it was about the way that they acted towards each other. You used to act out of love. Those deeds are gone. You need to come back to those. So that's an indication. Also, we know from the text that when they were fighting against what we'd call heresy or, or false teaching, that sometimes, and maybe you've seen this in your own life, when we hold on too tightly to being right, we can actually lose love. One guy said it when it comes to parents and kids, as a parent, you can, I'm right, your kids right out the door. You can be right and you can lose the relationship. And, and that's kind of what was happening, seems to be happening. They were so um, vigilant about what's true and what's false and who's telling the truth and who's not that they had actually become suspicious and sort of hard towards each other. They had actually lost love. So I think that's an under indication that this was about the love between them. And then thirdly, most importantly, 
When Jesus talks about the lampstand, right? Why would he need to remove, why would he need to shut a church down if they were losing love? Well, if they were remembering the things that Jesus had said to the apostles when he was first on earth, they might have remembered this verse from uh, John 13. Just Jesus talking to his disciples. A new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. And then he says, listen, listen, by this, everyone will know you are my disciples if you love one another. Love one another, love one another, love one another. Why? Because I have loved you. And if you love one another, when people look at you, they will see the love I have for you and for them. That's why Jesus was saying, if you don't get this right, we have to close your doors. And, and I don't even know if it was so much of a, as a threat as a prediction. It's saying, when you lose love, you fail to be the church that I made you to be. When people can't see me anymore in you, there's no point. And the way they say me, see me is the way you love each other. That's why this was about the love they had for each other. And Jesus says, it's such a big deal. You have to turn around. And so he says, come back to the things you did at first. The things you did at first. Come back. See, we live in a culture, I think, that does not know how to persevere in love. We do not know how to persevere in love. Uh, we live in a culture that um, says, if, if you agree with me, I like you. But if you don't like what I uh, think anymore, then I'm going to unfriend you. I'm going to unfollow you. Or I don't like what you think anymore, so I'm going to unfriend you and I'm going to unfollow you. If you don't agree with me, I'm going to shut you down. I'm going to blacklist you. I'm going to take you off my contact list. We're not going to be in. If, if, if we disagree, we can't. There's, there's no more love. We have a culture that so easily moves on from churches because of theology, because of liturgy, because of who knows what, but not love. Not really actually realizing relationships are meant to be prioritized. Love is meant to be prioritized and people move on. We move on quickly from church. We move on quickly from our marriages. We move on quickly from our friendships. We have an idea of what love and, and life is supposed to be. And when it fails us, we move on. We have a culture that does not know how to persevere in love. And the church, quite frankly, has adopted that same kind of behavior. And that's why Jesus says, hey, you got to persevere in this. You know why? Because it's a lot easier to hold on to being right than it is to hold on to love. It's way easier to hold on to being right. I'm right. Or to hold on for dear life to look after myself than it is to persevere in love. Why is that? Well, one of the ways the scripture describes love is that it's patient. And some translations actually say it's long-suffering. <laughs> It's kind, it's forgiving, it's gracious. It's actually hard to love. It's way harder to love than it is to hang on to being right. And so that's why Jesus says to the church, he says this, consider how far you have fallen and do the things you did at first. Look how you've drifted away from love. You gotta go back and do the things you used to do the way you used to be. And maybe this is actually helpful to think of like kind of romance or whatever for a little bit. And for those of you that have fallen in love or you got married or whatever, like when I think about my relationship with Jen, when we were early on, what do you do when you're, when you're first falling in love? 
you don't count how many hours you are spending and giving to the other person. You just keep on giving. I remember like we'd be on the phone till like five in the morning sometimes. And then I'd go to work at seven and work a 12 hour day and come back and get on the phone again. Like the hours just fly by. There's never enough time. You want to see each other as many. No one's counting hours. You spare no expense. I remember flying to California when Jen was there to surprise her on the beach to propose to her with a ring in my hand that was the most expensive piece. I never even bought a piece of jewelry before in my life. No, actually about a $2 earring that I wore for a little while. But this thing was a little more than that. And you, you spare no expense to, to, to do that. Um, you don't um, guard, and, and you think about that person even when you're not with them and you can't wait till the next time you get to see them. And even, don't you do this? You minimize their faults and you magnify all of the good things about them, right? You, you downplay all of the faults and weaknesses and you, you build up and you focus on and you talk about and you talk about them to other people about all the great, uh, way, uh, the, the great kind of person they are. That, that's what you do at the beginning. And yet any one of us have been in love for a long period of time know that eventually kind of has to mature into something that is going to persevere in love and that it's sad and almost, um, you know, uh, kind of a caricature that we would say, oh yeah, we don't do those things anymore. The love is gone. The romance is gone. How come you never, it's because it, it's a thing that happens. We drift away from love. How much more even in the church where we can even idealize what community would be like. We can idealize what romantic love would be like. We can even idealize what um, community in the church could be like. And maybe you had an idea of how people in church should treat you or how they used to treat you or how you first felt when you came in contact with a community. And maybe these are people who say, no, I've actually never experienced love with, I thought I would, but it has failed me. And so it's very easy for us to, to hang on for dear life and hang on to being right, even in the church and let go of love. And Jesus says, no, come back to doing the things, the action, not a feeling. That's why he says, do the things you did at first. He doesn't say, just meditate for a moment and rekindle that nice feeling about, no, he says, go back to the things you used to do. Do the things that lead to love. You got these other, you're being very moral. You're being very upstanding. You're fighting for truth, but there's other things that you need to do to actually bring love back. And can I say this, just gently but lovingly, as one of your pastors, that in a season like this, this is so important for us. Because we are right now tempted to hang on for dear life, to cling to whatever we feel is ebbing away, our, our time, our space, our job, our whatever it is, our, our social circles, our vacation, our way of doing life. And it's actually given us a lot of permission to be very selfish. And I saw that in myself uh, very early on in the pandemic, even how I felt like I don't have time for anyone else. I'm trying to focus on myself. You know, and it's a little bit like that even with my own family, but even, you know, in, in, in ministry and in work, this idea of like, oh no, I can't, I can't, I can't. I have to look after myself because we're all sort of going through this. It was almost permission to be selfish. And we have to come against that. We have to actually come back and do the things that lead to love. Like I've heard people say, oh yeah, I'm zoomed out. I'm not going to that prayer meeting. I'm not going to home group. I'm zoomed out. And I, I know that's a thing. It, it is a thing. We've all felt it. But can I just make an observation? I've had over the years a few couples that I have done premarital counseling for who were in long distance relationships. Like they were in other countries and they were dating, you know, getting ready to be married. Now they would often say, oh, we're so tired of, you know, um, being apart. We can't wait till we're together again. We're sick of having to communicate long distance. But you know what they never said? They never showed up to one of our sessions saying, I say, yeah, how's it going? They're like, yeah, we don't talk anymore. We're zoomed out. <laughs> they don't say that. 
Why? They know they don't like the fact that they're apart. They can't be in person, but they love each other and they are going to persevere in love because they want to do that. And so there are some of us who need to say, yeah, I actually, this, I need to persevere in this. Yes, I may feel fatigued in this, but I need to persevere in this. Um, we have people who say, oh yeah, no, I, I, um, I, I don't like kind of doing stuff online or whatever. And we got a whole bunch of, God's entrusted us with like over a hundred um, youth and kids. And we have kids who are online for church on Sunday morning and youth who are in person on Friday nights. And we actually need to be thinking of them saying, what do they need from us? Because we're trying to care for each other. And this is maybe the most important group of people in our church is the young people, the next generation. How are they experiencing a pandemic like this? And what does it mean for us to actually help them through this? And yet if we are so concerned about ourselves hanging on for dear life, we can totally miss the opportunities for love. Um, I've heard people say about the in-person service, you know, some of us can't be there because we're either in, in a vulnerable place with our health or we're looking after people who are. But there are others of us who couldn't. I heard people say, oh, it doesn't do anything for me. And I get that. It's different. But maybe there are people who need to be there because they need to get out. Because for them, mentally, emotionally, physically, and spiritually, this has gone on way too long. They need to be with other people. And maybe they need other people to be there too. And so maybe it isn't about whether it does anything for me or does anything for you. But if it's going to help someone else, if I can actually love someone else, then I need to be there. Because it isn't primarily about whether, like, it, it, think about that in any love relationship. If you're a parent and you said to the child, you know, Caring for you doesn't really do anything for me. Um, I mean, hopefully that's not true, but that's also the end of love in that relationship, right? That's the most toxic thing you could say in a love relationship. It's like, yeah, I know you want that, but that doesn't do anything for me. And so we can't say that uh, about that in the church. Yes, we're all dealing with it, but there are opportunities to love that maybe we are letting go of, not even paying attention to because we're holding on for dear life. And then also maybe some of us have heard a lot of Christians on social media and some of us even in our own community who are so fixed on being right, we are hanging on to being right, that we are missing the opportunity to actually love. Either because we're so absorbed in politics or how the government's handling this or, um, you know, uh, conspiracy theories or whatever this is. And ultimately, let's be honest, it hasn't really produced much love in your life. You can hang on to it and insist on being right. Does it actually produce love? Or others of us who have hung on to being right in relationships that have wounded us, because that always happens in love relationships. That always happens in the church. Or we're hanging on to, they shouldn't have done that, or how come they didn't do this? And we're hanging on to that instead of persevering in love. And this is the caution that Jesus brings to us as the church over and over and over again. Be careful. Repent. Change your mind. Change your ways. Because in hanging on so tight for dear life and hanging on to being right, you can let go of love. The lack of love will ultimately ruin a church. There's lots of churches actually in the New Testament that had heresy and immorality, like false thinking and, and bad living. And, and yes, God wants to change that within us. But over and over, they were called back to love. They said, actually, the reason to deal with sin, to deal with heresy is because of love. This love is the ultimate rule to follow, is the ultimate ethic, it's the ultimate goal. And so that's why Jesus says, hey, you can be a church. You got all, you've got all the right thinking. You've got all the right acting morally. You've got all the right teaching. But if you lack love, you risk getting shut down. <laughs> How about you? But I don't want that. Ultimately, I think we need to remember who's even saying this to us. Who was writing this letter to John and these seven churches and is still speaking to us today? It is Jesus, the one 
who did not hold on to his life or hold on to being right, but gave it up for the sake of love. Do you ever think about that? The scriptures actually tell us that when Jesus was falsely accused, when he was misunderstood, when they said, there no, there's no way you say you are who you say you are, and, and all these other things people lied about just to get him convicted. Do you know what Jesus did in those moments? He said nothing. The only one, in a sense, who's had the right to hang on to being right and to hold on to his life was the one who said, I will give it up for love. Right? That's why the scriptures say, for God so loved the world. He didn't say that for God was so angry with the world, he was going to teach them a lesson. For God was so upset with the world for their bad thinking, he was going to come correct it. No, for God so loved the world that he gave his son and the son willingly gave up his life. The scriptures say he did not grasp onto what he was entitled to, but he became nothing for love. That's who is encouraging us to do the same. So what does that mean? Well, I have a, a question and a suggestion for you. The question, first question is, I mean, you need to ask yourself, why are my knuckles white, or in my case, light brown? Why, why am I gripping so tightly? Am I hanging on to dear life? Like, what things am I hanging on to because I'm so afraid of losing them, or I'm so upset that they're changing? What am I hanging on to too tightly? My schooling, my plans, my friends, my circles, my job, my money, I'm hanging on too tightly. My knuckles are white. Or am I hanging on to being right in this relationship with someone in our church, with this idea of what our church should or shouldn't be doing, or my rights in general? Am I hanging on too tightly? And do I need to begin to, this is a suggestion, to open up my hands and do some things to fall in love again? Or maybe just love for the first time with this church, even if you're new. What would it mean to actually open up my hands and do the thing? And, and by that, those things would say like, you know, like think about like hours, think about words and think about presence. When it comes to hours, right? We give it, there is opportunities. We need people who are willing to serve in person with our youth on Friday nights. We have, well, we would have more than 50 of them, but we can't because we've capped that number. But we have more than 50, junior high and senior high, who need people who are actually just going to remind them of who God is, remind them that they're loved, that they're valued, someone who just sits across from them and asks them questions and listens to who they are and engages in life with them because we need to, we're actually trying to carry them through this season. We need people who are willing to put in time online with our younger kids. Even if you say, oh, I'm not really good online or I'm not really good with kids, it's okay. Out of love, Jesus will take it. We will take it. Kids will take it. They need that reminder, that presence to carry them through this season. God hasn't forgotten about you. We haven't forgotten about you. You have a community here. For some of us, that's, it's the hours. For others, it's the words. Pick up the phone, send an email, you know, pray for somebody. Pastor Kate, our youth pastor, was saying she has felt so encouraged by so many of you parents of youth as you've taken the time in this season to just encourage her knowing that it's a hard season to lead as we're trying to deal with numbers and whatever, but she's really wanted to keep our kids um, well and healthy spiritually, relationally, mentally, emotionally. And she's so appreciative of that encouragement. So many more of us need that. Words of prayer and encouragement say, hey, I was thinking about you. As we a little bit let go of what's going on with me and mine, we can actually think about those who might need a phone call. And Jesus can prompt you and say, hey, call this person, send this email. Don't ignore his voice. And lastly, presence. For some of us, it's just being present in our home group saying, yeah, it's another season of Zoom online. I will be there. I will be there because other people on the other side of that need to see my face. 
even if I'm sick of seeing my own face, they need to be reminded. They need to be listened to that. I need to be there for them, even if it's doing nothing for me. For some of us, it's in our, in our in-person services. For others, maybe you just need to show up on someone's steps. It's going to get colder, so put on a coat, but just knock on the door. Santa say, hey, I haven't forgotten about you. I was thinking about you. How are you? Nice to see your face. This is about coming back to the things we used to do to kindle love again. Well, why we do this? This is hard, right? In fact, we talked about how our muscles for doing this can maybe have even atrophied in this season where because we haven't used them as much, when we try to use them, it feels difficult. I don't know if you felt that. I felt that. Things that I used to do so easily have felt more difficult now because we haven't done them as much. And this is one of the things that's happening to us in this season. So why would you, why would you push past that feeling of discomfort? I've been listening to a book about a Navy SEAL who is, uh, went through the training actually three times. Three times he went through Hell Week. And Hell Week is in the middle of Navy SEAL training. It's the most brutal, taxing, physically demanding, almost unreal um, burden for a human body to be able to stand up underneath. And he said during the middle of Hell Week, he said your whole body, everything is shutting down. Things are breaking down. Mentally, he says, everything you want to do is quit. You just want to give up. He said the biggest battle is mentally and you start to break down is you, the more you become aware of and think of your own pain, the more you just want to quit. And he said for him, what flipped the switch was when he realized he was actually leading a team. He was a team leader for a group of people going through this. And he suddenly realized, I need to get them through their pain. And he said something amazing happened. He said, when I started to realize I was actually leading a group of people and they were counting on me and they were going through the same thing I was and they needed me to help them through. He said, physically, I began to feel less pain. My pain actually began to, my body began to ignore it because I was thinking about how am I going to get others through that? That's just in a, a Navy SEAL training. How much more in the life of faith and love that God has put us in with the power of God's love can this actually happen? And so maybe, just maybe, the cure for your and my angst and frustration and clenched fists and hunched shoulders and the things that we feel as we've been hanging on so tight for dear life, hanging on to being right, the very thing we need is actually to let go of that and begin to love again.